We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The word of the Lord that will serve as a basis for our meditation today was that which served as our first lesson from the book of Zephaniah. We are in the middle of gift-giving season. Already, at this time, you have classroom, office, and even family gifts that are being exchanged, and they're going to continue to be exchanged probably even past Christmas Day. And there's one of the things that, that, that we struggle with as we exchange gifts and give gifts, and that is trying to find a gift that's a good fit for someone, right? And perhaps you've even received a gift in the past that wasn't such a good fit for you. you know, maybe it was a shirt that was two sizes too big, okay? Or maybe it wasn't uh, that so much, but it was a gift that didn't fit who you are, who you were. Um, for example, um, if you have a 12-year-old that's into all things athletic, and then you get him an embroidery kit, is that really going to be a good fit? Or if you have a mother who's never used so much as a pliers in her life, and you get her a Sawzall for a Christmas gift, not such a good fit either, Right? And when we get a gift and we receive a gift that isn't such a good fit for us, we at times console ourselves by saying, well, it's the thought that counts. But in reality, if the gift doesn't fit, probably not much thought went into it in the first place, right? And so giving a good gift is not an easy thing to do. It requires thought. It requires requires some work, some effort. And it's rare that you have a one-size-fits-all gift. Well, during this season of Advent, we're shifting our thoughts away from our gift-giving to God's gift-giving. And in particular, the greatest gift that's ever been given, and that's Jesus Christ. And we see that he was born into this world to give gifts to you and to me. For the first two weeks of Advent, we focused on two of the gifts that Jesus has given that are fits for all of us, and that's the gift of hope and the gift of peace. Today, we're going to be focusing our attention on another one of those gifts that is a one-size-fits-all gift for everybody, a gift that you need and that I need, a gift that fits us perfectly, and it's the gift of joy. But one of the things I want us to think about, I want you to think about with me this morning, is what is it that sucks the joy out of life? Well, I think we could all agree that... One of the things that drains the joy out of our lives is the troubles that we make for ourselves. So kids, when everyone else gets to play but you have to stand in the corner because of a disrespectful mark you made, is that joyful? That can take the joy right out of your day, right? Or if you're being reprimanded at work because you lost your temper with a client, that hurts. What else hurts is when you get pulled over and issued a fine because you've been driving too fast on the highway. These are all things we bring on ourselves, right? Those are consequences um, of our own deeds, our own actions. And what makes them doubly painful is that they not only earn consequences here, but these are the kinds of deeds that earn us a place apart from God forever. They have everlasting consequences. And there's other kinds of things that can drain the joy out of your life, and that's uh, the mistreatment and abuse that you and I might receive from others. 
That happened in your life ever? It can be a situation where it was your hard work and your faithfulness that led to a promotion. And at the same time, the obvious envy of this runner-up to the promotion that you received. And it just so happens coincidentally that when you go out to the parking ramp that day, you notice that there's some deep S-curves carved into the paint job of your car with a key. That kills the joy, doesn't it? Or it can be a, a situation where you've, you've been out helping others in their time of need, and then you hear through the grapevine that they've complained that you didn't give them enough help. And so they kick you for the good that you attempted to do for them. And on top of that, uh, there are those occasions when you are sharing the love of Jesus with others in the best way you know how, and uh, people call you a Jesus freak for that. That sucks the joy out of life too, doesn't it? Those are the things that can hurt for you and for me. And you and I aren't unique to that. During the days of the prophet Jeremiah, or of Zephaniah, God's people were suffering consequences for the things they had brought on themselves. Uh, the high priests and, the, the, pre, and the, the prophets, many of them were preaching things that weren't false, and definitely they weren't practicing what they preached that was true from God's word. At the city gates, you had the judges who were taking bribes from the plaintiffs and the accused. And the verdict went to whoever gave them the most money. You had the kings and the nobles who were looking to pagan superstitions for guidance and answers rather than to the word of God. And so God gave them a time out. God separated them from the land that he had given to them, and they were now slaves in a foreign land, suffering all kinds of mistreatment and abuse there. Life was hard. It was miserable. The joy had gone out of it. And yet, this is how the Lord opens the text that is before us through the prophet Zephaniah. He says, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. With these words, the Lord is acknowledging and recognizing that you and I are vulnerable and weak. That you don't have the strength and I don't have the strength to fix the problems that we brought into our own lives. The guilt that we now have before God, you can't remove, I can't remove. It sticks to us. And then there are those who are mistreating us and abusing us, and we're too weak to keep that from happening. And yet, what words do you notice the Lord uses to refer to his people Israel here? He calls them daughter. He calls them daughters and not sons. And there's something to that. You see, even today we recognize that, that our daughters are more vulnerable than our sons. Huh? And, and you even see that in, in the way uh, things play out in society. How many women like to go shopping alone? They shop in groups, right? They even go to the restroom in groups. Huh? They do. I dropped two sons off at college. And as a father, when I did that, I was concerned about one boy at camp, on campus, okay? Uh, when I dropped my daughter off to college, I was concerned about every boy on campus. 
right? Um, we are more protective of our daughters than we are of our sons because we realize they are more vulnerable. And so God is saying, you are vulnerable. I know it. I see it. And yet I'm giving you a reason to rejoice because I am the one who's going to guard you and protect you. Notice what it says. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. So why do women travel in groups? Because there's safety in numbers, right? Well, even if you're alone, there's somebody with you. There's somebody with me. And he's no wimp. He is the mighty God. Here's a picture of Thor Bjornsson. Okay, have you ever seen him in Game of Thrones? Okay, he's in that series. I don't watch it, but that's where he's in. He gets. But he is, he's one of those guys who is a 2018 world powerlifting champion. He weighs 397 pounds. And he's lifting, deadlifting here, 1,041 pounds. Okay, if he's your friend, is there any place you're afraid to go with him? Not many, right? Well, guess what? The Lord who says, Rejoice, daughter of Zion. Rejoice, my people. Is a God who with a word could crush him like a bug. He's the God who with a word created the heavens and the earth, and he's by your side and he's by my side, and he is our defender. And so he has the power to take the trouble we've made for ourselves and to defend us from it, to turn it for good. He has the power to turn away from us those who would try to destroy us and ruin us. As it says, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. And so what did the Lord do to take away your punishment? Well, he sent Jesus, didn't he? Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the Almighty God who created all things in the heaven and the earth. And he deadlifted all of the world's sin, your sin and my sin, our guilt from off of us. And what did he do with it? Well, he took it on himself. He shouldered it, he carried it, and it's gone. No longer to weigh you down. So when your conscience says you're guilty, you're in trouble, you can say, no, the Lord has taken away my punishment. It can't fall on me because it's already fallen on Jesus. And when you're suffering, when the joy is being sucked out of your life because others are abusing you and mistreating you, taking advantage of you, criticizing you, then you can remember he has turned back your enemy. Satan can accuse you all you want, all he wants, but the Lord has said you're innocent. The Lord has the power and is presently taking the bad things that people are doing to you and he's going to work them into a blessing, something that is helpful for you and for others down the road. He's proven that in the lives of his Christians and of his people in the past. And suddenly you feel the joy starting to return, don't you? The Lord is our defender. So he says, sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. If you've incurred a fine because you've been driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, does it make you feel better if somebody else pays the fine for you? 
Now, if the $150 isn't coming out of your pocket, it doesn't sting, right? In fact, what do you say to the person who's paid that for you? Thank you so much! I can't believe you care about me that much, and you would do that for me. But that's what our Lord has done for us on a vastly greater scale. He's fully paid your debt and my debt before him so that we can rejoice every day. And here's a picture that we often uh, don't receive of the Lord in Scripture. We're told he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. But typically, don't we think of ourselves as singing to God? But here, God is saying, I will delight in you, and I will rejoice over you with singing. God is the one who's going to be singing something to us. Can you think of an earthly occasion when people sing to you? Kids, you know? I think you know, right? When, when do people sing to you? Yeah. Birthday. Your birthday, right? Here we go. Birthday party. Happy birthday to who? To you. And what does it feel like when all the attention on you is on you and people are celebrating you? You feel loved, don't you? You feel special. And you wear a smile. It gives you joy. But that's what the Lord is doing over you and me. He's singing to us. He's saying, happy birthday. You've been born into my family. I am yours and you are mine. I'm going to guard you and I'm going to protect you. And I'm always with you. Could you feel any more special? God is delighted that he has made you his own. And because the Lord delights in you, you know that he has the power to do what he did in the life of Joseph's brothers. Remember Joseph's brothers? They sold him as a slave, and they saw all the sorrow they brought to their father because they told their father the lie that Joseph was dead, and Joseph would not, excuse me, Jacob would not be consoled. And he had to live with that. But Joseph was preserved by God. And Joseph was the one they met when they needed food. Joseph provided them with food. Joseph forgave them. Joseph brought their father down. And God took what was a horrible thing that they had done and he turned it into a blessing for them. So in the end, they had great joy. And the Lord will do the same thing in your life and mine, right? That's not an excuse to go on sinning. That's an excuse to stop it. But it's reason to rejoice. That is how greatly and deeply you are loved by your God. And so this Christmas season, when you think of joy, think of the fact that you're forgiven by God and that God is going to take all the things that hurt and work them for your good. Is that a gift that fits you well? Huh? It certainly does. Is there anybody that that gift doesn't fit well? Anybody I know of. In fact, there isn't anybody like that. Jesus Christ was born into this world to give you and me the gift of this joy. You were reborn into the family of God by the washing of rebirth and holy baptism so that you could share this gift of joy with others. And so, brothers and sisters, as we continue through the season of Advent and the Christmas season, 
May we cherish this gift and may we pass it on to others. We have joy in Christ. Amen.